It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to reliving the war exclusively on the gray wolf entertainment network it is the podcast where we go through the monday night wars and relive them and uh, i'll tell you what we're into 1998 the nostalgia feels are getting high but uh i'm nims is joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler simon i don't know about you there is something about survivor series 1998 that has a special place in my heart. And I think for a lot of people our age too, because this was the one that I think was everyone's, everyone, even if you weren't a wrestling fan back in 98, watched it. Absolutely. A huge one, especially for us in Australia, a rare pay-per-view that was shown on network TV on channel 10. I think we figured it out. It was probably shown the Saturday after it happened in the States. So if it happened on a Sunday, we got it on the following weekend. There was promotion on Channel 10. There were commercials. And the thing that triggered it for me and brought back all the nostalgia was the opening of this show, the Deadly Game theme song, because that was used for all the bumper commercials on Channel 10, you know, in and out of the show itself. So that, that song just is now stuck in my head again, as it was back then. I wrote the exact same thing. And let's get straight into it. So it's a very simple intro. It's just whatever it takes, simplistic, but it gets the point done. Uh, the Deadly Game song is a banger. It's so weird in the context of 1998 because it sounds like it's from 1992, but for some reason it fits. It kind of does. Yeah, it, it definitely would have made more sense if this was the tournament song for WrestleMania Four. As opposed to 1998 at the Survivor Series. But yeah, great song, real cheesy. Uh, You know, it's a deadly game. It's really, really good. Um, And we talk about the best ones. We talk about the nostalgia feels too. Just the sight of the bracket when they put up the bracket Mm. with all like that. That was just like, I'm like, oh my God. Like I'm back in my parents' rumpus room. I'm back watching it on, on like the uh, the Panasonic 63 centimeter TV. It, it's a Saturday night in Melbourne, and things are good. <laughs> and also, I want to say that the opening video is excellent. It's got a voiceover. I couldn't find who was doing the voiceover, but it's basically like a variation on those amazing Attitude Warehouse videos. But yep. it's. It's all about what everyone would do to become champion. It puts over how important the championship is and how all of these men have a chance at it. Again, there's another stratosphere to WCW's production at this point. It it really is. And we get straight into the pay-per-view. It is Mankind versus a mystery opponent. And Vince kicks off Survivor Series uh, by introducing Mankind, who is in a, uh, a bow tie and a suit. He's also the hardcore champion as well. And Vince McMahon, he's fully in wheelchair mode here. You know, he's, he's been crippled by that dastly Austin. How dare he? 
And the thing that I found interesting, when he's talking about the mystery opponent, there's very loud HBK chants. As a kid, I thought this was Shawn Michaels. I bought into it too, because I didn't know dirt sheets or anything. But when I heard the crowd chanting, I was like, oh my God, is Shawn Michaels coming back? But then Vince kind of ruins it where he says, this man went to WCW. And by that point, you know, it's not HBK, but it's a great Vince McMahon um, introduction because he's obviously a bad guy, but he's doing the phony like, I'm just a, a guy doing this introduction. Vince McMahon was so good at this point. It, he really nailed the McMahon character. And I love how he's doing the full, you know, WCW, which is the <laughs> only thing that he says that gets booed. Like, you know, like, yeah, Vince, we agree with you. Yeah. Uh, but the opponent is Dwayne Gill. This is pre-Gilberg. And uh, it's hilarious. It is hilarious because he comes out. He's pointing to the screen at his Titantron. He's shocked by the pyro. It And and the, um, the team, the football team, because Vince, Bigs up like you know, and he's the coach of the like the the Philadelphia Chargers or something like that. And Jr. and King, I should add, add an incredible layer to this paper. Mm. It's so good how they are like Jr. like that's I'm looking that up, and that's I don't know how he's looking it up too. (laughs) (laughs) But he's he's like sources. He's got sources, and he's just like I've looked it up, and that Philadelphia Chargers, they're a high school team. Yeah. (laughs) I think even, no, not even high school. I think they're like a... a elementary you know, school. Elementary yeah. school team, which is just funny. It's great because the story here is that Mankind is Vince McMahon's chosen corporate champion. He's gotten the full makeover. It's been a story that's a year in the making with all the dude love stuff with Austin earlier in the year. Now he's wearing a suit. He's shaved. He's been given the hardcore title. It's not a real belt yet. It's not defended. It's only ceremonial. Yep. So, you know, like, it, it's a whole great story that they've rigged the tournament for their corporate champion. And at this point, we think it's Mankind. He's been given, you know, the tomato canning Dwayne Gill to beat. And he beats him in one second, basically. It's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy how quickly that match win. Uh, Mankind gets the win. We then move on to Kevin Kelly, who is backstage with Sable. We got to point out, too, like, the storytelling in this pay-per-view is just absolutely fantastic. So Mankind's got a dummy opponent, a real easy one to get through to the next round in Dwayne Gill. Kevin Kelly is backstage with Sable. There's some highlights from Sunday Night Heat, which of course was the pre-show back in those days. And Sable is just, it's its crazy that Sable and Jacqueline have basically, were the, the women's division for 97, 98. This feud has been going for months and it doesn't yeah. even feel old or dragged yeah. out yet. <laughs> and uh, I'll give Sable credit here. She's, she was never known as the best promo. This wasn't bad. It was short and to the point and she's angry and then she storms off. It was fine. That's all it had to be. It was good. Yeah, it was It was quick enough that uh, that it didn't linger too big bad. And it, was, and it wasn't, like you said, it was short, sweet. And it wasn't long enough so you could notice, like, or pick it apart. So, uh, speaking of picking things apart, next up, it is Jeff Jarrett versus Al Snow. Jeff Jarrett is in full Jeff Jarrett mode. He's with Deborah McMichael. It's the first time that they're together on paper, and Al Snow is out with head. The thing that I love, JR's commentary is so fantastic. He, he describes Jeff Jarrett as a decorated two-time intercontinental champion, really bigs up Jarrett's achievements, mentions how he's 31 with, like, uh, decades of experience and all this sort of stuff. He calls Deborah a Jezebel, which is 
He doesn't just call her a Jezebel. He said Deborah can easily be described as a Jezebel. And King's <laughs> like, what? He's like, why? For what reason? Yeah. And then literally, but, it's yeah. two seconds later. One of his next lines is um, when Al Snow grabs head and like she goes to dis- distract him. JR says, what does she know about head anyway? Just classic <laughs> subtle JR that you don't get until you're an adult. You're like, oh, okay, he was way dirtier than we thought. You know? It's it's so good. And, and the best part about that too, like, so in case you haven't picked up on this, Al Snow and head is basically like, he, that's his entire gimmick to make head puns. Yep. But the the funny thing about that too is when uh, JR's talking about um, Al Snow, he's like, you know, Al Snow, not as successful in the WWF. Uh, he did lead the job squad to a win on Sunday Night Heat, though. Like, I just, I just pissed myself by that one. It was so good. The match is pretty. It's pretty harmless. It's uh, there's shenanigans that gets involved, but it's most of these matches are short but sweet because there's like 15 in the entire pay per view. Yeah, if you came to this pay per view for you know five star classics, you've come to the wrong place. If you want a really <laughs> good story and a very entertaining three hours, this pay per view is one of the best. And this match was fine. It did what it had to do. Both guys, uh, you know, fully formed characters at this point. They've got their gimmicks mm-hmm. and they play to their strengths and it was good. Yeah, so Al Snow gets the win with a headshot to Jeff Jarrett after Jarrett sort of goes for a, a guitar show. It's just so convoluted, but the crowd is literally eating it all up from the, uh, from the palm of their hands. As we move on to the next match, which is the Big Boss Man versus Stone Cold. I don't know about you, but just seeing Big Boss Man do those night's kick twirly things. I was always a big fan of that back in the day. Like, I, you forget I, I how good he is. too, yeah. <laughs> Funny, my <laughs> note is, I forgot how good he was at spinning that stick. It looked so cool. He really was good. It was just... It was just Maybe we were just easily amused back in 1998. That was, Why that didn't was... WCW give Big Bubba a stick just to twirl it? Just because it's something cool he could do. Instead, they gave him, like, tracksuit pants and a gray singlet like they did boss man no yeah. favors in wcw yeah. or or they made him a security guard as the boss yeah which should have a nightstick like <laughs> that too he could have had a night unless <laughs> wwe trademarked the nightstick and wcw didn't want to you know push it now, anyway yeah yeah now, um, the, the reason that austin is back in the company because remember he was he was fired at the end of judgment day but Throughout Raw, there was a really, really cool sort of um, storyline involving Shane McMahon. It's Shane McMahon's first introduction to the WWF where he plays the whole like, you know, like, it's like, I just wanted dad to be proud of me. And Vince being evil Vince is like, you know, I'm going to make you a lowly referee. How Mm. dare you bring back Stone Cold Steve Austin and sign him to a contract? I had this done and dusted, blah, blah, blah. It is when people used to say, oh, wrestling is like, is like a male soap opera. It's because of the Attitude Era in 1998. Absolutely. And I think um, it was, we don't see highlights of it, but did Austin get his job back by threatening Vince? Was this the Bang 316? Because I feel like uh, it might have been because he was fired and then he like, you know, kind of hijacks Raw or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was the Bang 316 where he fires the gun at Vince's head and, and, and Vince, Vince pisses, pisses himself. himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like that see, probably happened here. It No, it did happen. Like, there's an incredible run of roars from there. Because I, I, yeah. the thing is, like, I can remember the Shane McMahon passionate speech where he was yeah. all like, you know, oh, I wanted... My... So it is amazing how much they cram into 
1998. There's so much that happens, like the bedpan stuff and all of that. It all happens within the span of weeks. Like you think it's like, oh, and they built up to this. No, it was just bang, bang, bang. Because I remember being confused when I saw Shane McMahon as a referee because we didn't get Sunday Night Heat. Yeah, you're in right. In Australia. Yeah. It was hard to make sense of, but it all pays off. Uh, I'm having a look here. So the Bang 316 was October 19. So yep. yeah, it probably happened between Judgment Day and the uh, and Survivor Series. Yeah, because there was the full, like, it's so funny because like, as we talk about it now, anyone that's a new fan that might be listening going, is, oh yeah, the old, the old Vince, Vince and Shane are fighting or Vince and Stephanie are fighting or Vince and Linda are fighting. And then, oh, they all, guess what? They all make good at the end of it. No, no, no. This was the first time like McMahon family drama was involved. So it's all fresh and new to us. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was great stuff. Still holds up. Um, so Shane McMahon, uh, as I said, rehired Austin, signed him to a five-year contract, which is why he's back in the WWF, which I always thought was great that that JR starts throwing in like sort of sports analogies. He's here for a five-year contract, five-year this, five-year that. but Which is crowd... kind of fun. Think about it. Five years from 98 is legitimately how long his in-ring career lasted. He retired in 2003. That is true. That's crazy, actually, when you think about it like that. Like, yeah. yeah, real foreshadowing <laughs> there. Uh, the crowd is absolutely mental, and Vince is watching from a corporate box here. What's very, very cool is, like, this match is a non-match because Boss Man is the, is the corporate heavy. He's Vince McMahon's personal bodyguard. He was always, you know, at this point in time, I, you completely forget about hard times, Boss Man. This is a completely new Boss Man, and he just absolutely takes the nightstick to Austin and, to quote JR, beat Stone Cold like an animal. <laughs> Because JR loves it, whipping government mules, just beating animals. You shouldn't do that ever. Um, this match was good. You're right. It was a non-match, and that's why it worked, because Austin starts the brawl on the outside, because he knows this isn't going to be a real match. He knows yeah. that basically he's just got a target on him from the corporation. So it's just the brawl, because Austin's trying to survive, and Boss Man is trying to beat him up Watch to him ruin out. his yeah. chances in the tournament. And I'll be honest, they had a good brawl. Like, Boss Man looked better here than he did in the WCW stuff we saw over the past couple of years. Austin is so over that the crowd's into everything. And mm -hmm. Boss Man even does some of his, you know, signature spots. Like, he does a big jump on the ro on the middle rope. Then he runs back and he slides out of the ring and slides back and slaps Austin. And for what it was, it was a good short brawl. Really, really good too. And it's, it's some fantastic acting from Vince uh, in the corporate box too, because they're just like, you know, like, oh, Mr. McMahon, you can't be happy that he advanced to the second round. And he, and Vince is like, does he look like he's, he advanced to the second round? And he says, the <laughs> night is young and gives a great Vince McMahon <laughs> facial expression. He's such a shit-eating grin kind of guy in this entire paper, which is so good. Uh, we get on to our next match, which is X-Pac versus Steven Regal. Yes, Steven Regal is here in his full man's man gimmick, which is incredibly out of place in 1998. But X-Pac is European champion. I did like that they tried to weave in some form of story because uh, Steven Regal is annoyed that someone that's not from Europe is European champion. Yeah, which is pretty much William Regal's only gimmick, you know, at this yeah. point. Aside yeah. from wearing, you know, his hard hat. That was it. I'm angry <laughs> that I'm not European champ. 
William Re- oh sorry, Stephen Regal wouldn't be in the WWE for very long here, but he would be back in a couple of years. Kind of a shame he was such a great, you know, in-ring wrestler. Mm. This match is good. Two of the most underrated guys, you know, of this era. They go in there, they do some, you know, real wrestling just to cleanse the palate from all the brawling so far. Very technical, yeah. Yeah, it's more of a technical match and the crowd's into it for the most part. Um, they love X-Pac, but, you know, Steven Regal here, there isn't much of a reason for them to care too much. But in terms of a match, it's pretty good and it's entertaining. Yeah, it really is. It goes to show you, like, X-Pac is still in his six sort of form um, that he was in 1997. So he can bring it to... Stephen Regal is he he knows how to like he knows his role essentially like he knows what he's meant to be doing there. What is kind of interesting is so uh, X Pac and Regal they spill to the outside and it becomes a double countout, which means that Stone Cold Steve Austin gets a buy into his next match. Now that this is we mentioned that this is a story pay per view, it's fantastic as Vince loses his mind in the corporate box, sends out Sergeant Slaughter to do five minutes of overtime, but they obviously couldn't do it because. Puck is just that injured, and so is William Regal because you know they're taken out by the match. So Austin goes through to the semifinals with a bye, and Vince McMahon, like we talked about Vince McMahon's facial expressions after the last match, he's it, he's next leveled at this time. Yeah, I think this was genius because a lot of people might have seen this match and thought, why is this match in the tournament? It exists because of this part of the story because Austin would face the winner of this match, but because of the double DQ, because they wouldn't go overtime. Now Austin's got to buy. The one guy Vince didn't want to move <laughs> forward, not only moves forward, he has a buy. Uh, more genius storytelling. Uh, the one bit of commentary, though, was so funny here. JR, for some reason, calls Regal Blackman like four times. <laughs> and he keeps saying, oh, Blackman, Blackman's so dangerous. And King just says, whatever you're on, you need to cut the dosage. And JR <laughs> just goes dead silent. He was either really annoyed or cracking up laughing, but it was great. <laughs> also, I just want to say, yeah. X-Pac looks so dumb in this at the end of the match, though, because mm. he's the heroic baby face. X-Pac never gives up. He always puts up a fight. Because he took a suplex to the outside, can't continue at his one chance to become WWF champion. Yeah. Like the richest prize in the game. He's like, oh, no, man, I took a suplex. I better just leave now. Yeah. Like Sergeant Slaughter has already run out there. They've already made the announcement on the Howard Finkel's done the, you know, we will have a five minute overtime. And X Pac is barely through the, like, he's almost at the skull at the entrance. He's like, nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> just like... I'll just take my European title. It's good enough. <laughs> Next up is Ken Shamrock versus Goldust. Ken Shamrock is intercontinental champion. There is a line that Ken Shamrock, uh, Goldust is in full attitude era sort of Goldust. Uh, so we, we've really shared. You know the the artist formerly known as and Dustin Runnels, the preachers, the preachers wipe all of that rubbish. It is this is the gold dust that we know and love from the Attitude Era. There's a line there that that Jr. says where uh, Shamrock is backs up to his feet, is back up to his feet like a like a perpetrator. Did you pick up on that oh, one? No, I didn't. What does that even mean? I don't know. That's what I was. Uh, that's what I was <laughs> on about. Like now, because that's what I want to know. Like so, Shamrock's the heel in this, right? Shamrock, ever since the uh, the breakdown triple threat cage match, when the crowd just started to boom, they're leaning into it. I don't think he's officially a heel yet. 
That would come yeah. a little later when he actually joins the corporation. But they've finally given him the IC title, which is honestly like six months too late. He should have been yep. the rock for it earlier in the year. But either way, Shamrock is not getting cheered as much anymore. So they're leaning that way. And Goldust is the face. It kind of created a weird dynamic in the match because it's not a bad match at all. But no. Shamrock controls the match because he's the heel. But then Shamrock also just wins clean with the ankle lock. So yeah. Shamrock looks like a badass. He just beats the crap out of him and then wins. He doesn't cheat. He literally just makes him tap out. There is a bit. The, the turning point in this match, though, is like, so Goldust goes for Shattered Dreams. So he puts Shamrock in the corner. But obviously, if you kick someone in the nuts, it's a DQ. Mm. So the ref goes to stop him. And and the crowd just is just like, no, we wanted to see Shamrock get his balls kicked. <laughs> yeah. like, it's it's such a weird sort of like uh, setup. But yeah, as you said, Goldust taps out to Shamrock. Uh, who submits him with the ankle lock and does it quite dominantly as well. So this makes, as you said, Shamrock look like an absolute badass. Michael Cole's up next with an update on Stone Cold's medical condition. It's just a pretty fluff piece there. And we get to Rock versus Triple H. Like that is the, that's the promised match that's in the bracket. The Rock comes out first. Some mega cheers for the Rock. He's well over. We get the full D-generation music, but... Joel Briscoe and Pat Patterson come out instead of Triple H. Triple H cannot make it, um, but the Stooges announce his replacement at the request of Mr. Mac Man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did love how even JR started uh, making fun of Joel Briscoe, calling him Mr. Mac Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That basically was Joel Briscoe's catchphrase in the attitude era, Mr. <laughs> Mac Man. I think he would lean into it too and, you know, exaggerate it. But the seeing the Stooges come out doing the crotch chops and all that during the DX (laughs) strobe (laughs) intro was pretty great. And poor Howard Finkel is still announcing Triple H and the commentators are trying to stop him. They're like, "Uh, Fink, that's not (laughs) Triple H. And then um, I think King says, oh... Howard's on another planet and then JR again with some sneaky JR snark says he's not just on another planet he's out in Uranus and it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you don't notice it but as an adult JR was you know he was giving King a run for his money sometimes oh mate he certainly was now the this the the substitute for Triple H is the big boss man which as we said played into the story about boss man being the corporation's heavy Bossman comes in and gets beaten in literally five seconds. It's a roll-up. And I remember watching this as a kid, jumping up off the beanbag because The Rock was so massive. It's like, oh, my God, The Rock. Like, yeah, take that. It was absolute genius. It's backfired on you, you stupid corporation. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, the the people's champ. Woo! (laughs) He didn't even have to do a move. All he had to do was a roll-up on the corporation's heavy. Genius. It was so good. Why would the crowd think anything else? Why wouldn't they just cheer it, which they do? Fantastic stuff. What was what was also cool, you move on, we move on to the next bit, and it's King and JR back at the desk. We're very critical every time WCW goes back to the desk, but when WWF does it, it's so it flows so better because King and JR are giving like an ESPN style update about uh, the second round of matches, how we got there, and they do it so concisely, they make it feel like a real sports broadcast. Yeah, they do a good job either coming out of a match or going into a match after a, a video package, and it's only in service to that. 
they're not stopping to talk for three minutes for no reason. So yeah, it was definitely good. Definitely not. Um, the next match is The Undertaker and Kane. How many times have we seen them wrestle on pay-per-view this year now? So, so I was actually thinking, because I stopped paying attention to The Undertaker versus Kane match, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm actually going to look up to see how many times we've seen. So since WrestleMania 14, because, so one thing that we do, we'll, we'll put it all into context. So JR brings up, which I thought was a cool little fact, that um, this is the building where Kane debuted just over a year ago in October 1997. So Kane's been there for just 13 months, just mm-hmm. over 12 months. Uh, and in that entire duration, now WrestleMania is in March, the entire premise between The Undertaker and Kane is like, I don't want to fight my brother. I'm not going to fight my brother. All right, I'll finally fight him at WrestleMania 14. And they had a, I wouldn't say a classic, but it's a good match. Mm. Since WrestleMania 14, they have fought, and I'm not including like any roars or any stuff like that, but on pay-per-view, they have wrestled WrestleMania 14, Unforgiven, Breakdown with Stone Cold Steve Austin in the Triple Threat match, and then Judgment Day in the main event with Austin refereeing, and now at Survivor Series. So this is the fifth time on pay-per-view that they've wrestled since WrestleMania 14. Wow, that's a lot. Wait, are you including the... Sorry, I'm, maybe I'm getting my pay-per-views mixed up. Does this include the tag team match? No, doesn't include. I'm not including the tag team match because <laughs> I can get away. Like, so if we include the tag team match, it's it sticks six times on pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what? We actually should count that because it does technically have Taker versus Kane. It is like, Taker, Taker versus Kane. They're on opposite yeah, sides because Taker and Austin, Austin and Mankind and, and, and it's the main event of a pay-per-view. So yeah. they're selling it on this match again. Six yeah, times so... they definitely got the most they could out of it. Oh my god, yeah. And it's not a bad match. It's just that we're Kane and Undertaker fatigued. I'll be honest, yeah. I this my um my concentration for this match, my patience yeah. for Kane and Taker was at its look, lowest at this point. Look, at a Saturday on channel ten uh in nineteen ninety eight, when this is the first pay-per-view that's ever on free to wear, I was all in on this. Yeah. When when we've literally done <laughs> six pay-per-views. When it's the sixth time we've seen Kane versus The Undertaker on pay-per-view since WrestleMania 14. Sorry, guys. Um, Taker wins. He gets a tombstone and an assist from Paul Bearer to get the win, which I thought was pretty good because that buys also that also backs up the story of, um, you know, Kane is unstoppable. Like, that's why Paul Bearer had to help. So Undertaker moves on to the next round. We move on to the next match, which is Mankind versus Al Snow. Mick is the chosen one. JR sort of cottoned on to that wily corporate plan. Mm. It's it's all a ruse. It's a ruse, I tell you. Um, but Mix the, the chosen one according to JR. Vince, uh, Vince, like, you know, does the Bond villain thing of like, well, what I did was I stole Mr. Socko and then I put <laughs> it on Al Snow's head. So when Mick sees, Al, sees it on head, he's going to lose his mind. I Which love I that. Was good. that was yeah, yeah. Good. And that's the story of this match. Because if you're wondering... Why would Al Snow make it so far into this tournament? It's so they could do this Socko versus head match. And it's pretty good. I will say, though, the one weird thing about this match, like, obviously, it's Mick Foley and Al Snow, so they want to, you know, do some callbacks to ECW and where they've come from. But Al Snow uses a chair twice, and it's not a DQ. It's Mm. like all the nutshots we saw at Halloween Havoc. (laughs) <laughs> the referees at the end of 98 in both major promotions are maybe getting too lenient here. 
Yeah. There's a bit where uh, I think towards the end in the main event, JR actually mentions, oh, no, no, it's not the main event. It's before the main event where they talk about JR saying that Earl Hebner's using, you know, using his own discretion in terms of counter because win, like, you know, winners advance in the tournament, in the deadly game tournament, and so much is at stake. <laughs> there you go. That, that's basically the only um, explanation you can give on commentary. Well, the hmm. referee's using his discretion. Just like <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. the ref. <laughs> Um, so Mankind gets the win. It's a pretty, like you said, it's a story driven match. That's why Al knows this far in the tournament. Next up is Shamrock versus The Rock. Now their chemistry is off the charts. Yeah. Like we've, we've seen a handful of Ken Shamrock and Rock matches and it's so like, they're just, yeah, they just seem to have good matches between the two of them considering how inexperienced they are. And also this is the match where I forgot just how much of involvement the big boss man has in this pay-per-view. He... In this era, he comes out, he circles the ring, but he plays another integral part in this match. Absolutely. As Vince McMahon's, you know, hand-picked henchman or whatever, the deadly game is all about the big boss man in a lot of (laughs) ways. And this was really cool, though, because, you know, um, they want mankind to win. The Rock is this young, up-and-coming good guy, and they've said the two men... Vince McMahon doesn't want to become champion of Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. So yeah, now Boss the Rock's Man, the people champion. Yeah, exactly. Boss Man is targeting The Rock here. Uh, in terms of a match, though, yeah, like you said, great chemistry and their roles are kind of reversed here. It's fun to watch The Rock as the face and Shamrock as the kind of de facto heel, but they still go for it and the crowd is into everything they do. You know, all of their moves, Hurricane, we got Hurricane Runners from oh, Shamrock. That's... Just everything. There's, it's very, very good. Now, there's a bit too, and I, and I this is where JR and King are so good because The Rock gets put in the ankle lock, but he powers out of it oh, by yeah. making it by making it to the ropes. And JR does that great line. It's like, well, because The Rock's taller than most athletes, he can have that extra reach to yeah. get to the rope. He which doesn't, it... which doesn't take anything away from Ken Shamrock. Like it doesn't make the move look weak. It's just that The Rock is a different sort of athlete. Like you know, former Miami Dolphin or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> he's got the leverage. He mentions he's six five and he's got the arm reach. But that is such a good moment because the crowd has been cheering The Rock for a couple of months here, but we haven't had a moment like that specifically where it's like, cheer for the valiant, you know, hard, yeah. hard working Rock for the fact that he reaches for the ropes and doesn't give up. That's when the crowd is fully into The Rock as like, he's doing it for us. And yeah amazing ending to this match this has stuck with me since 98 i think one of the best uh you know wwe style finishes ever so boss man's on the apron and the way the shot but the way it's shot too so from left to right you've got boss man on the far left on the apron with the nightstick you've got the referee yelling at boss man you've got the rock behind the referee and you've got shamrock all the way at the end Boss man, you assume, wants Shamrock to win. So he throws the nightstick, but it doesn't make it all the way. And The Rock intercepts it. Mm -hmm. An amazing catch like that he has to reach for. And he just smashes Shamrock and the crowd goes nuts. Let's not forget too. There's a little bit of there's a bit of panto from Ken Shamrock as well because he does like the gimme gimme like with the hand <laughs> yeah. thing. Like he so it's so well choreographed. Like boss man's on the app, he's like, quick, give me the nightstick kind of thing. So while he's distracting the ref, he tosses the nightstick. So with there's the so hand. much that could there's so much that could have gone wrong here. 
Oh, if The Rock dropped the nightstick, he would have looked like a dumbass. I think it happened in AEW a few months ago. I forget who, yep. where they did a similar thing and whoever it was, like, dropped the belt and it just... <laughs> so The Rock to do a one-handed catch with the nightstick, fantastic. That's where his Miami Dolphins uh, yeah. <laughs> came in. But anyway, amazing ending and The Rock... Oh no, the rocks one again. Oh, the corporation mm. must be so annoyed. Like so good, and and especially too because like oh, but the rock technically cheated to win, but he's the people's champion, and what a great interception of the nightstick! Like that wasn't planned at all. They were trying to screw him, so you know he had to screw them first. It, it was yeah, great. It's, it's easily fair, the it's, the best match so far, though. It's fair game, and I love how Jr. is even just like, "Yeah, you, you get a taste of your own medicine. Cop that, boss man." It's just so, so good. All right, now we're fully up to the uh, the filler parts of the pay per view, and I, I I don't mean that with any disrespect, but it's this is about the tournament here. But uh, we get to our women's match: Jacqueline versus Sable. Mark Merrow is out with Jacqueline as per usual. As he said a bit earlier, Simon, this feud has been going on for so long, but there's that much still in it that it's crazy how much that Sable and Jacqueline have been pushing this. Yeah, I mean, like, we're criticising how much we've seen The Undertaker and Kane in 98. We've seen just as much as Sable and Mero and or Jackie or, you know, Luna or whoever. Um, This match only goes for three minutes. It's Mm. Sable, it's Jackie, it's for the women's title, which Jackie had already. Um I think this was cut from the TV version. I'm going to be honest. I feel like this wasn't on it because I didn't remember seeing this. Yeah, I don't remember it either. And I think it might be because there's a part where it's it's not like there's any like man on female violence here, but Sable gives a a Sable bomb to Mark Merrow to the outside. Maybe that wasn't seen as <laughs> but, well. Whatever it is, I also can't. Re- I also couldn't remember this. Maybe it's yeah. because it was three minutes. It mm. could have been on the broadcast. Not too sure. It didn't last. Like it didn't leave a lasting impression. And why would it? It was three minutes. Sable gets the win. She reverses a DDT into the Sable bomb, and story's paid off. Everyone wins. That's it. Sable is basically Brock Lesnar here. She <laughs> hits her finisher right away. She hits the TKO. Mero drags her off to the outside. Like you said, she then power bombs him. She goes in the ring and basically just wins. That's it. Hits the power bomb and it's over. Crowd goes nuts. There you go. That's basically what if, it. <laughs> what if that's the twist this whole time? We've all assumed Paul uh, Paul Heyman is the genius behind these, you know, quick, energetic, finisher-only Brock Lesnar matches. What if it hmm. was Sable the whole time? What yeah, if it's before actually before his comeback. She sat Brock down. She showed him this match, and she was like, "You should just do this for every match." <laughs> and Brock went back, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I spoke to Sable. We've got this amazing match style we want to try." <laughs> it does seem it does seem right in the timeline, uh, especially if you've seen that that's awful Brock Lesnar Triple H match. It's not awful. Uh, the one from WrestleMania twenty four. Is it twenty four? Where, where it dragged too long from WrestleMania, yeah. whatever it was, thirty, whatever. He must yeah, have went yeah. back home and Sable must have been like, you haven't seen Deadly Game, me and Jack. <laughs> <laughs> this is how your matches should be. Yeah. Go tell Paul. He'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll go into bat for you. Da, da, da. Um, next up, it's a semi-final match. Mankind versus Austin. Austin is still injured from the attack by the boss man. Now, Vince and the Stooges are out. And uh, 
like everyone surrounds the ring. There's so much hullabaloo. And it's kind of, it's also a little bit of a callback to Survivor Series 97 as well. So there's so many layers in this onion. Yeah, this one's great. So we've got the corporation's hand-picked champion in Mankind. We've got obviously the person they hate the most in Austin. This this match felt like a main event, which it had mm. been, you know, a few months earlier in those two great matches. To see Mankind and Austin go at it again, they didn't hold back. This was a really good brawl, as you would expect from these two, and the crowd's going crazy. Again, though, referee using a lot of discretion. They use a Very chair. Much. There's a DDT <laughs> hit on the chair, and the referee just, like, kind of waves it off. But um, amazing moment after that when Vince McMahon, who's been in the wheelchair for a while, just stands up out of the wheelchair to, like, grab the referee. And the crowd, you know, and JR just is so over the top about it but let's not forget to king it's a miracle he can <laughs> walk <laughs> it's, it's so good so and and to put it into context like it's just so the, the bit that makes it so good is so is it um is it mike Kyoto or jimmy corderas that's the referee it might be jimmy corderas here yeah it was yeah. one of the old yeah. school refs one of the oh, old school ones so and... maxim too like oh i know so basically austin's about to get the win but just as he's about to do it, Vince stands up from the, from the... Like, he's that incensed that Stone Cold Steve Austin might win, that he's willing to throw away the charade and, like, forego that he's been pretending that he's a cripple so he can stop it. And then, like you said, Jimmy Cordes just gets the absolute shit kicked out of him. Yeah, it's good. And the crowd is just so angry because now they know the fix is in. But a great twist because, like you said, Shane McMahon is a lowly referee and, you know... He helped Austin. So Shane McMahon slides in. This is another moment burnt into my brain. So many amazing finishes all in one pay-per-view. Shane slides in. Austin's got the cover. One, two, pause, double birds right in Austin's (laughs) face. And Shane's face and Austin's face are both absolute gold here. And because Shane is still so young here as well, he literally looks like he he, he was probably what like 20, 22, 21, 22, give or take. However, like he's still got that baby face sort of look. So him doing that, and Austin, who's still got the cover and looks directly at him, like, are you are you serious? <laughs> like it's just so well done. And Shane McMahon is also giving the double bird, like he's just a kid that has figured out how to do the double bird as well. <laughs> Yeah, he does it for a real long time because he slides out of the ring and he's still doing it. And doing Austin's it. just <laughs> shocked, like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. So then um, the Stooges get in, chair shot to Austin, fast count, that's it. Austin's out of the Deadly Games tournament. JR is livid, absolutely livid. Does he sport? This is where I think the um, the maybe the trope of stone cold stone cold stone cold was born because he kept saying austin's out of the tournament austin's out of the tournament (laughs) he would just repeat anything about austin good or bad but he chases them out so shane vince the stooges boss man they all run to a limo and then austin chases them to the car park and steals someone's pickup truck he throws a guy out of the truck and gets in and they just haul it out of the Mm. arena which is a shot we would see a lot in the wwe of guys just like the start of a car chase it's always out of the car park and nothing else so we would see that here yeah never ever have i seen and this is and i've actually and because i spent 10 years working in the back room of an iga as well 
I've never seen that many roller doors on television in my life. <laughs> also, I love just that like... at all times of wrestling events, there's just someone always at their car, like with the mm. keys in the ignition, just about yeah. to leave. Yeah. And it's always conveniently the one that Austin or whoever's standing next to. Like, it's not like he has to look around like, no, nope, no one in this one. No one in this one. Oh, it's it's just so well done. Um, Yeah, and JR is just livid at the shenanigans as Austin chases the McMahons out of there. Um, we then get to our next semi-final match, which is The Rock versus Undertaker. I forgot that The Undertaker has his eyebrow pierced like he's Jurassic from Heartbreak High. You know, that little, that little, <laughs> little stud that's... 1998, it was the time to get your eyebrow pierced. Like you said, Drazik and The Undertaker, the height of cool. (laughs) I wish The Undertaker would roll a blade to the ring like Drazik. (laughs) Just a montage of The Undertaker rollerblading. Yeah, just grinding on the guardrails (laughs) and stuff. Um, Undertaker does seem to be, when you think about it, when you put his entire career in hindsight does seem to be the biggest identity crisis man on the roster, doesn't he? He gets credit for it, but yeah, when you watch it back, sometimes it's a bit on the nose. Like, yeah, when he had the um the fake uh, black tear tattoo, tears? like he killed yep. someone in prison. He's got the eyebrow <laughs> ring. He's gone through it all. Um, now, the action spills to the outside here. And uh, as you said, like, JR also doesn't even start counting. Doesn't even, like, he still... He, the the referee's discretion, they must have like just been told, go for your life here, guys. But I guess, you know, it all makes makes sense within the story. But you're right. The book of refereeing is just completely thrown out of the window. Yeah, for this pay-per-view. And I know there there is some sort of justification in that. Again, so much is on the line. You know, it's all about the tournament, the world title. We need a new champ. But yeah, they're definitely pushing it to the limit. This is the first time we're seeing The Undertaker and The Rock on pay-per-view, though. They wouldn't yeah. wrestle a lot, but they would have better matches than this one. I will say that. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Can't say too much about it in terms of a match, but it does continue the story well. And it's kind of just, yeah, historically interesting to watch The Undertaker and The Rock wrestle. Forgot to point out too, uh, Bossman comes back out again. <laughs> <laughs> He's earning his money tonight, his, his boss man. But we talk we talk about the um how this is a big story pay for you because what was good, Kane comes out and he chokeslams The Rock to cost Taker the match. Now, in 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 canon, it makes perfect sense because Kane is pissed off that, he, that his brother cost him a chance at winning the WWF title. So he's going to cost him. Simple as that. Like, that's basically it. Taker and Kane fight into the, uh, fight into the crowd. Then we get back to... Um, so that's it. The Rock advances into the final. What's great is Mick Foley does a... He does a, a promo out back. He looks so weird with a clean-shaven face, doesn't he? Even with the mask, when you can see his clean-shaven face, it's just not right at all. It's not the big poly you think about. Uh, it's a fun little promo. He does say, you know, because he's going to wrestle The Rock. Now The Rock's made it to the finals. Mankind's made it to the finals. He says, if you smell what the sock is cooking, and then the camera cuts to Michael Cole who does a real exaggerated like face to the camera, whatever your point of reference is, uh, Arrested Development or The Office or whatever, like one of those sitcoms where yeah, like like Jim will, doing yeah, that. Yeah, like yeah. look at the camera. <laughs> Michael Cole does a great one here. 
Yeah. All right. Next up, it is the New Age Outlaws versus the Headbangers versus what I've put down as the Diet Nation because um, it's D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. All I can say is as as the Outlaws were doing um, their intro, all I, all I could think of was like, if you replace the green on their tops with pink, you've basically got the acclaimed. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, <laughs> shout out to Billy Gunn for basically getting, you know, lightning in a bottle twice, 30 <laughs> years apart or whatever. He's doing well. He's basically, because done... remember there was a point where everyone was kind of over the outlaws or over the whole act for either guy, just because they were, so in your face and it was like oh yeah billy gun okay mr ass yeah sure whatever yep. but it's looped back around and everyone's like oh yeah he's got ass in his name we love it for whatever we reason. love it yeah <laughs> now um so the other thing that i i always remember and i think i brought it up when we did see the headbangers win the wwf t- tag team titles off the godwins if i recall correctly in canada mm-hmm. yep. um the headbangers they're always referred to as former wwf tag team champions but we never see it it was always as a always as a kid. I'm just like, well, you know, these guys must be good. Jr. keeps saying that they're former WWF tag team champs. Yeah, they and, won it once. And, and all I could say is, like, aside from the Outlaws, the crowd's really not into this match. The crowd's not fully into it. They love the Outlaws, though. There's so many signs for them. There's also one giant sign that says the Road Dogs whole intro promo, which yeah. is amazing. And it, uh, during the intro, you see Road Dog point to it and then tell the ref and Howard Finkel like hey look at that sign and yeah. they're all like looking over it. it is very impressive shout out to those guys it's not a bad match all of them like they do good moves all of these guys are good wrestlers uh in terms of in the ring tell you what though we mentioned daddy ass and you know Billy Gunn when he gets the hot tag though near the end that's when the crowd does get into it they love He's- the Billy Gunn hot tag He's the master of that. He is like the only thing better than that in tag team wrestling than a Billy Gunn hot tag is a, a Jimmy Uso breaking up a pin uh, <laughs> on like 2.99999. Like those are the best like tag team tropes I could think of. But yeah, the Outlaws get the win. And in the end, Billy Gunn flashes his ass because I forgot that he used to do that back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And, and it would get a huge pop from the crowd. People loved, they love Mr. Ass. That's it. Yeah. He, so all of a sudden, him winning King of the Ring 1999 doesn't look that stupid when you when you see the run up to it. Yeah, it made sense. You can see why they thought, okay, there's something here with this guy. <laughs> um, so next up, we get a replay of the Austin shenanigans. Jr. is still livid. What I th- what I what I thought was fantastic is like Jr. is explaining the winner gets the WWF title. They do like they really make it seem prestigious. It, it's a big big deal and. They lean into it like it's sport. Mankind's the heavy favorite. He's the one with corporate backing. This is like for what this is the reason that we're all here. They've built this story up so well. Everything makes sense. The belt is vacated for a reason. This really is like you give Vince Russo a lot of shit. Like, and most of it is well deserved, but he deserves a lot of credit for how he crafted Survivor Series 1998, especially when we get into the main event. Oh, 98 in general, and then the way it all pays off, I would say at this pay-per-view, I know there's one more pay-per-view to go, but if we say Survivor Series is kind of the end of the story of 98, Vince Russo like hit a home run. This is one of the best one-night stories ever, and I don't know how many people on the creative team or how many other writers can say they put together one pay-per-view as good as this one. And what's great yep. about it, too, 
in the finals, you've got Mankind and The Rock. We're guaranteed a brand new champion, someone who's never won the title before, which I think adds an extra layer. Like, hey, we're not relying on the past. This is two new main eventers, and you're going to yep. get a champion here. Yep. Uh, I actually had that I had that note down the first time, but then I remembered that dude loved main evented against Austin at Over the Edge. Yeah, yeah. He, he main evented, but yeah. he's never been champion. Yeah, yeah, true. So you, you've got a fresh main event. This is the Rock's first main event too. Yeah. He's only been in two, only been there two years in the company. I always give. Actually, no, I'll, I'll save that one for uh, when we do our post match sort of stuff. So the, the the best part at the start of this match are those little digs at WCW for for oh, Halloween yeah. Havoc. <laughs> so the one that I, that stood out to me, and you might have a couple of different ones, Simon. Uh, Jayon King, uh, like you know, you're going to see all of this pay per view. Uh, the Rock and Mankind won't swap over to home shopping after this. Um, and there was another one where JR says something, a throwaway line, like, don't mock the, the less fortunate. To yeah, yeah. JR says, come on, King. That's not nice for those less fortunate. You know, yeah. we're going to see the whole main event here, which is great. You know, hey, they might as well fire it back at him. There's some great commentary here, too, during the intros. Not only that, JR mentions that. Mankind's brain has been scrambled by too too many chair shots. It's just great. And they're really putting over how, you know, now Mankind has his tights and boots on. He's not wearing the suit pants, so he's a little bit more serious in terms of mm -hmm. wrestling. Uh, we also see um, the McMahons. We see Vincent Shane and Boss Man. They've now made it back to the arena after driving away. So they're setting the stage that this match is going to have even more shenanigans and forgive me if i'm wrong because i might have missed it but like at some point in time they change it like mid mid match to a no dq or can that to sort of make up for the for the uh, crappy refereeing like and justifying why they're spilling to the outside and having all these hardcore uh shots because there are some vicious shots like with steps chairs you name it they throw everything except for the kitchen sink. That's justified because then the commentators spin it as, oh, well, you know, Mankind's their chosen uh, person in the tournament. So they're giving him the advantage because, of course, Mankind loves hardcore matches. So yep, that's, that's kind that's of the reasoning does. there. They're all on the outside. So you're thinking, okay, it's Mankind. It's his kind of match. And he's got all of the stooges around ringside. So everything is heavily weighed in his favor in this match. Yeah, it's it's a great match too because the crowd is so into it, and it it kind of sort of pays off with with because uh, both you want to from a from a storyline standpoint you want to see the Rock win because he's the people's champ. That's why he's got the crowd behind him. But at the same time, I'm sure the crowd wouldn't be too annoyed if Mick won Mick Foley because like. He's been there before. Like, this is the culmination of, like, all of his hard work from, like, Mind Games 96 and all that sort of stuff. So there's so much backstory going into it. Mick goes through the Spanish announce table as well. He throws in some old school sort of Cactus Jack moves too. It's just such a good match. Yeah, it's a it's a big brawl. Um, these guys would go on to have better matches, but this one is really, really good. They had great chemistry. The crowd is absolutely into the rock. There's massive rocky chance. They're going through tables. You know, Mankind, like you said, he does like the elbow. 
He goes for Mr. Socko. You've got Vincent Shane. I, I do want to say when they walk out during the match, JR calls them Big John Wayne and Little John Wayne. Which I don't know. And he's like, oh, and they swagger when they walk. Like he's just so annoyed at them. It's fantastic. It's it JR here is magic at at like this level of JR. It's just so fantastic. Uh, the, the other part too that I need to bring up is when JR talks about like, you know, I was bamboozled by Shane, but you know what? So were a lot of people. That's the only solace I get. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't um, want to make it like he's the only sucker. <laughs> so the, you mentioned Mr. Soccer gets involved. Rock gets put into Mr. Soccer, but he sort of feeds off the crowd and gets that into a rock bottom, which only gets a two count. Then this is the part where the shenanigans kick in. And I thought it was done so well because the rock sort of looks at Vince, gives the little corporate uh, people's eyebrow and then puts mankind in a sharpshooter. And Vince, who I reckon is really putting it on, does the ring the bell, damn it. Yeah, in the first callback to Montreal, you know, before this would then become a trope, like uh, they're doing the screw job again. To do it one year after at the event, for the first time, this mm-hmm. was awesome. You can't, like, yeah, looking back, you can say, oh, it's been done so many times. When it was done the first time, this was such a creative ending. Realistically, who would have ever thought they would do a fake Montreal screw job? <laughs> you know, like, it's pretty cool. It was great. And again, nobody called it. I don't think anyone watching at the time thought, oh, The Rock's going to be, you know, the corporate champ and they're going to screw over mankind because the story was put together so well the whole night. Came out of nowhere. The Rock is the WWF champion. At the end, Vince and the crowd is almost stunned. They are very stunned. They pop initially, but then I think it dawns on them like, oh, wait, hold on. They just screwed mankind. The Rock did it with the McMahons. It's really good. Because like, this is why it's, it's normally very unusual when you get someone have their world title win to then have a little bit of promo at the end. But I reckon the promo was needed to really ram home the Rock's a heel. And what I thought was cool, like the Rock so basically cemented his heel turn with the promo. And then Mankind also de facto turns face and becomes a really sympathetic character here. Yeah, because Mankind is on his feet, but he's confused because, you know, he yeah. didn't tap out. And he and he looks at Vince McMahon and he says, oh, but dad, 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 I don't understand what happened here. So good to reset both characters, the Rock and Mankind and get their feud going. And also another fun thing I never thought about until I watched this back. This is the beginning of the rock using the sharpshooter as one of his signature moves. And it all came because of the Montreal callback, but it would just become one of the rocks moves moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, As it was dubbed by some online, the Scorpion King death lock. The other part that I loved is like, you know, when, when, um, when Vince is trying to explain to Mick and basically goads him into a belt shot from the rock. Like it's just so well done, but, and we talk about how, like, you know, so this is the end of one story. Austin then comes back at the end and sort of has a bit of brouhaha with the rock, which then kicks off the next chapter of the story, which is kind of very, very cool when you think about it. Uh, Absolutely. The great thing about this ending, it sets up really Two of the most iconic things to happen in the Attitude Era, Mankind and The Rock's feud, and then the lead-up to WrestleMania 15. The stage is now set. The Rock is the world champ. He is Vince McMahon's chosen champion. He's the corporate champ. Austin needs to get his belt back because they've really screwed him. But 
mm-hmm. mankind it's interesting to watch this back now that i think about it because we're going to get four straight pay-per-views of the rock and mankind survivor mm-hmm. series rock bottom the royal rumble uh valentine's day massacre if you read the dirt sheets and you believe what was supposedly meant to happen, this was going to be a triple threat. Foley, The Rock, and Austin. But supposedly Shawn Michaels said, no, the match should be a singles match between Foley and Austin. And Mm -hmm. somehow that led to Foley getting removed and they went with just The Rock and Austin. But either way, it kind of does make sense that all three men would be in the mix for the main event here for the next few months. And when you think Of of the Attitude Era, especially this part of it, these are the three icons. You know, it's Foley, The Rock, and Austin. Yeah, you know, when Triple H... Remember, Triple H doesn't get up to the main event till late 99. They spend basically all of 2000 building Triple H. 2000 is Triple H's year, undoubtedly. And The Undertaker, I know he's part of the mix of the Attitude Era, but <laughs> The Undertaker doesn't count. He's there through every era. Like, he's just yep. kind of, you know, like... You'll well, think put of it the this golden way. Yeah. era, a Hulk Hogan, and you'll think of the Undertaker. You'll think of the new generation, the Undertaker. He's just there. Yeah, three years later, he's he's coming out with those decade of destruction shirts. But um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He doesn't. If we're talking about the real guys. It's Foley, Rock, and Austin, and this is the absolute peak of it. Late '98 into early '99. Yeah. It, so it's it's a hell of a. This really is the crowning jewel on Vince Russo. Now, I, I was going to say this before the main event, but I'll say it now. Like, this is what I, I like. I like to call this the sort of Michael Bay Transformers sort of thing. We're like, so Transform. I don't know if you've seen the original Transformers movie by Michael Bay, where it was mm. surprisingly good. Mm. And then Transformers 2 is incredibly crap. Like, I reckon this is the same thing. The same premise happened between Survivor Series and WrestleMania 15. So... My theory behind the Michael Bay Transformers thing is like, after they saw what a good job he did in Transformers 1, they're like, you know what? You know what you're doing. Do whatever the hell you want in Transformers 2. We'll green light it. It'll be back. So he did. Then you get like, you know, weird Mexican stereotype robots and all (laughs) of these, like all of these tropes and too much sexism and stuff like that. I reckon when they've seen Survivor Series, whoever, whoever's in charge has gone to Vince Russo going, you know what? You look like you know what you're doing here, Vince books all yours whatever you want to do for wrestlemania 15 go for your life (laughs) yeah and you know what to be fair there's a great build to wrestlemania 15 the royal rumble 99 gets criticized i'm interested to watch it again there's some good Mm. moments St. valentine's day massacre pays off austin and mcmahon and there's some great stuff on that show too wrestlemania 15 though you're right it almost felt like they said okay Now just stick the landing. We trust you. We think (laughs) you can do it. And I think you're right. It it is like a sequel because WrestleMania 15 is kind of a a long story throughout the night to build to the main event. And yeah, Russo doesn't stick the landing there. He got it right for Survivor Series 98, but not for the raging climax, which WrestleMania 15 was (laughs) subtitled. I'll put full disclosure though. I do remember as a kid, I loved WrestleMania 15. It was like... 13, four, like 13, 14, and 15 other ones where I was still like, you know, like a quote unquote child. So they, they were the ones, it was 2000 was the one where I really got pissed off at because The Rock didn't win the title. Like that's the, that's the one where I got pissed off was like 13, you're too young to realize, you know, like to, whether it's a good show or a bad show, you just enjoy it. And I reckon 14 and 15 are pretty much the same. 
in terms of when I remember it as a child, in terms of my enjoyment, where it was like, yeah, they were good. They were really good. That was an awesome pay-per-view. So I'll be interested to rewatch WrestleMania 15 as well. But look, we're going to go through some of our, uh, some of our, who do you reckon is the MVP of the night? Because it's a hard one. It's a really hard one for this time around. It could be The Rock or Mankind or Vince McMahon or The Big Boss Man. Boss Man, yeah. (laughs) There are a lot of pieces in this one. I don't know. It's got to be The Rock or or Mick Foley, but it's kind of hard to separate them. But at the same time, Vince McMahon is a thread throughout the show, the backstage Mm -hmm. segments, the promos, getting involved in matches, the promo at the end of the show. So many people are throughout the whole show and they carry it. I don't know. Or you know what? The MVP of this show, and I know it's kind of breaking the rules a little bit, it's Vince Russo for putting this together. I think we can just say he put this together and let's give him the credit on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say The Rock because the only reason I was going to say The Rock is because everything, if you look, look, look at all of his matches, everything that he's involved in, it makes perfect sense for the people's champion. Yeah. to do all this stuff in there. It's only then when you see the twist at the end that he's the corporate champion that everything that he's done in all of the matches makes even more sense. Yeah, it really is genius. Like, if we it's put all so the pieces well together, yeah, it's, it's yeah. good. And also, this is the start of the corporation. I know I've been, I've been saying that throughout the show, but it doesn't actually form until The Rock joins. It's not yep. really a stable yet, but now we've got Boss Man, we've got The Stooges, we've got Vince and Shane, we've got The Rock, We'd get Shamrock. We'd get Shamrock. Kane. Kane is a nice twist here because the seeds were planted. He helped The Rock win by getting the DQ. So did <laughs> yep. he screw The Undertaker or did he also help the corporation? Because he would be a part of that until around WrestleMania. So amazing story here to put all the pieces together. And yeah, then later on we have China John, which we'll all, yeah. we'll get to at the point. But <laughs> yeah. when you when you but when you think about like all the pieces that fit together, and then you have Triple H turning his back on DX at WrestleMania 15 to join the corporation. Like everything makes, everything fits so well. And when we talk about WrestleMania 15 shitting the bed, that is summed up so well when the corporation and the ministry joined to make the corporate ministry. Yeah, let's not talk about The Undertaker for a few months here. <laughs> it's like, it's so, it's so funny how, like, in hindsight, when you, you can see the clear end point of like, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. Oh, come on, Vince. <laughs> I like, uh, I like Ministry Undertaker, but it, it really, once they join it with the corporation, <laughs> it's too much. When you have that weird bit where they're all standing on the stage, like, and there's about 50 people there, and, and Taker's in that weird robe too, standing next to Shane, you're like, no, I don't think this is working. These two things should be separate. And also when they do like the gothic mix of no chance in hell, yeah, is, that, right. is there the corporate ministry? Like, yeah, oh, it's, too it's much. so good. Um, so that about wraps up this edition of Reliving the War. Next up, we go to WCW and we look at World War III 1998. Three rings. It is the final ever World War III. I wonder why. But um, it's going to be an interesting one to see. I believe the main event is actually um, DDP versus Bret Hart. So Bret Hart gets his first WCW main event. What months has Bret and done to earn a main event? Absolutely <laughs> nothing. I know, I know. Oh, wait, no, technically, no, he's not the main event because the World War Three match is the main event. Oh, I was going to say, come on, Bret yeah. hasn't earned a main event there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's not till 99. Actually, it's not until Mayhem 99 that he made events at WCW pay-per-view, which they reenact the Montreal screwjob. 
I can't wait for so that. So that's three years in a row of screwjobs. <laughs> We're gonna Jesus. no. We're, we're gonna see it every year. Every year we do the show, we're gonna see it from now on. It's gonna yeah. happen. It, it and we're not joking here. That's the funny thing about yeah. it. But yeah, um, that is about it for another edition of Reliving the War. Follow Grey Wolf Entertainment on the socials, Grey Wolf ENT, if you'd like to catch up, or if you want to go through the back catalog, we got three years worth of shows there. Three years, two years, no, three years. Yeah, we started this in '96. Uh, check out all of the back catalogue if you want to catch up and binge it. Uh, but this has been Reliving the War. We'll catch you next time. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net